Welcome to the Layman's Homily Podcast. I'm Tony D'Arienzo. In this week's episode, we'll be talking about the Eucharist. What is the Eucharist? Where do we see this mystery in Scripture? And how can we better appreciate this gift? All this and more on Layman's Homily. Welcome back to the podcast. As always, we have a packed show for you. So let's dive right in. So we'll start by asking the question, what is the Eucharist? Or rather, who is the Eucharist? Um, The Catechism of the Catholic Church calls the Eucharist the source and summit of the Christian life. um, Because it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ truly present under the appearances of bread and wine. Jesus, the King of Kings and the God of the universe, becomes present in a real physical way at every valid Mass. Let that sink in. Jesus, the King of Kings and the God of the universe, becomes present in the Eucharist, truly present in a physical way, at every valid Mass. The word Eucharist comes from the Greek word for thanksgiving. So we give thanks to God for this great gift of himself as food for us, um, as nourishment. Um, It is also known as Holy Communion because when we receive the host, we become more in communion with Christ and his church. Where is this teaching laid out in scripture? Um, The most complete teaching is from Jesus' own words is the bread of life discourse found in John chapter six, um, John's gospel. Um, We'll talk about this more uh, later. So keep this in the back of your mind. But right now, what I wanna do is go into um, basically the entire scriptural basis for a a better appreciation for the Eucharist. And this is um, from Dr. Scott Hahn's fourth cup. Um, We could spend, you know, a whole hour more on on this, but I'm just going to break down the the highlights of it um, because I found it really um, beautiful and gave me a deeper appreciation for what happens at every Mass. Um, so to start with, we, we have to start back with the Passover in the book of Exodus and the Jewish Passover ritual. So in the book of Exodus, um, we have the, the Passover, the first Passover. And so in this, you, um, the ancient Israelites had a, to sacrifice a male lamb and the lamb had, had to be male and it had to be a year old in the prime of, his, prime of his life and without blemish. And they had to consume all of it um, after, after they sacrificed it and prepared it. They had to consume all of it, um, all of its flesh. And they had to take its blood and apply it to the wooden doorposts of their homes 
with a sprig of hyssop and not a bone of the of the lamb should be broken not a bone of it should be broken so now as as this ritual develops from the first passover um you find that there are four cups of wine um in the in the ritual um it's related to the four promises of god um to the Israelites in Exodus chapter six, verses six through seven. So the first cup is the festival cup. The second cup is, um, doesn't have a special name, but it's when the Passover narrative is read. The third cup is the cup of blessing. So this is right after you've had your main, the main meal of the unleavened bread and the lamb. And the fourth cup is the cup of completion. Um, at this point, the great Hallel is sung. And these are Psalms 114 through 118. Um, and Psalm 118 is a very messianic psalm. Um, and I'll read some of the verses and you tell me uh, who they uh, might refer to. Um, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done. It is wonderful in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Join in procession with leafy branches up to the horns of the altar. Hmm. Sound, sounds familiar, doesn't it? And so after this is sung and the, the fourth cup is uh, drank, drank um, you have the conclusion of the Passover meal with the words, whoever is presiding over the Passover meal says the words, tell telesti, which is Hebrew for it is finished. And so we'll dive more into that in a bit. So now fast forward to the Last Supper, which is a Passover meal, right? Jesus himself says, like, he wants the, his Last Supper to be a Passover meal. And so in Luke, Luke's account of the Last Supper, chapter 22, verses 27 through 30, you have the second and the third cups. Now, the first cup is not mentioned in any of the Gospels, um, but we know that these are the second and the third cups because there's bread. There's part of the, um, the main meal um, that is given in between, right in between the second and the third cups. Um, and it is this bread of which that Jesus himself says, take this, all of you, and eat from it. This is my body. I mean, he didn't say... This is a symbol of my body. He said, this is my body, right? And so after this, they, they sing a hymn and they go to the Mount of Olives. Um, it says in Matthew's and Mark's gospel. And this is the great Hallel, right? Psalms 114 through 118. And then, and then we have the passion, right? The agony, the agony in the garden in which Jesus talks about a cup, right? Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. 
still not as I will, but you will, your will be done. Um, so this cup, right? Why would he be talking about a cup? Um, why would he be talking about a cup? And so then he's condemned to death um, on Good Friday at the hour when the Passover lambs are sacrificed. Um, John's gospel makes it a point to mention that. And then continuing in John's gospel, on the cross, Jesus says, I thirst. And in response, the soldiers who are crucifying him, they give him wine mixed with vinegar on a sprig of hyssop. And so that hyssop comes back again from the Passover, right? When the Jews sprinkle, uh, applied the blood of the, of the lamb to the doorposts. So why, why, why is hyssop here mentioned? It like specifically mentions that it's hyssop. So it's this connect, drawing this connection again to the Passover. And after tasting the wine mixed with vinegar, Jesus says, it is finished and dies. He says the words that conclude the Passover meal, which is Hebrew for, it is finished. So the Passover meal is concluded. Um, but where's where's the lamb? Right? There's no mention of a lamb. Um, anywhere in this account to the the last this last Passover meal of Christ. Um, and that is answered by St. John the Baptist, who says earlier on in John's gospel, behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Right? So Jesus himself is the Passover lamb. Right? He's a year, well, he's not a year old, but he's in the prime of his life. Um, he's male. He's without blemish. Right? He's, sin, he's the sinless one. He's like us in all things but sin. And after his crucifixion, after he's dead, the soldiers break the bones of the two men crucified next to him. But his bones, they did not break because not a bone of the Passover lamb would be broken. Now, that, that begs the question, so if you know, Jesus is the Passover lamb, then and in order to complete the ritual, you have to eat all of the flesh all the flesh of the Passover lamb. Um, and that's what God himself commanded back all the way back in Exodus. So how do you, how do we fulfill that if Jesus is the lamb? And now that, now that that line take and eat, this is my body is made clear, right? We're, we're meant to consume the flesh of Jesus in the Eucharist. Pretty amazing. Um, and that's just the highlights. If you want to learn more about that, I highly recommend you check out uh, The Fourth Cup uh, by Dr. Scott Hahn. Um, 
So there's some other places in scripture too, um, after this, where we see um, the Eucharist. Um, in the road to Emmaus, so this is after Jesus has risen from the dead, um, Jesus is walking with these two disciples and they don't recognize him until Jesus takes bread, breaks it, and gives it to them. And then they recognize him. But as soon as they recognize him, Jesus vanishes. Why? Why wouldn't he just stay with them? Well, he did stay with them. But his presence is in the Eucharist that he has just given to them. Right? And so it's this expression, breaking bread, throughout the Acts of the Apostles, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, whenever we see that expression, breaks, breaking bread or breaks the bread, it's a reference to receiving the Eucharist. Um, and St. Paul, who wasn't at the Last Supper, who he, he receives you know, this tradition and of, of the Eucharist, and he expounds upon it um, in his first letter to the Corinthians. So now I know, I know a lot of people you know, think that the Eucharist is just a symbol. Um, it's not actually Christ present in the Eucharist. Um, and so that, that's the question. Is the, is the Eucharist just a symbol? And, and the answer is, is no, it's not. And if it were, um, Jesus would have called the people who left him back. So this is from the Bread of Life discourse. Now we're going to get into that um, from John chapter 6. So Jesus is, has just fed the 5,000 and they've, they've followed him across the shore, uh, across the, the sea. And Jesus tells him, you saw, you saw me, you're falling after me because you're looking for food. Um, work for the food which I shall give which is my flesh for the life of the world. And the Jews who followed him are quarreling among themselves. How, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And, you know, if it were a symbol, if it were just a symbol, the Eucharist were just a symbol, Jesus would have said, no, that's not what I meant. It would be, it would be a symbol. You know, it's just a symbol. But no, he doubles down. In fact, uses stronger language Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life within you. Um, and the Greek actually used there is more like a gnawing, like how, the way an animal eats um, it, its prey, right? Unless you gnaw on the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life within you. So it's even stronger language, more forceful. And... In John chapter 6, verse 66, interesting how that worked out. Um, many of his, many of the people there like left him. Many of his disciples left him and no longer walked with him. If it were just a symbol, Jesus would have called him back, them back and say, no, no, come back. I didn't, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it like that. But instead, instead, he doesn't do that. He asks his apostles, the 12, whom he had chosen, are you also going to leave? Do you also want to leave? 
He was staking his entire mission, entire mission on this earth for this teaching. Like the, the teaching of the Eucharist, that the Eucharist is his, is his flesh, is truly his body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's incredible. It's incredible that he loves us this much. But oftentimes, oftentimes we take, take the Eucharist for granted. We take this amazing gift of Christ himself as, as food for granted. And so how can, we, how can we not, how can we avoid this? How can we have a Eucharistic renewal in our own lives? Um, and here are a few ideas. I was actually at a talk about um, where a priest was talking about this exact thing. Um, how can we, you know, have Eucharistic renewal in our lives? Um, and he point, he gave us um, a few uh, ten ways. I'll list I'll list some of them here. Um, first is daily mass at least once a week, and obviously go on Sundays, but then go to daily mass at least once a week because it's you know you don't have to you don't have to it changes it changes you um, I know that that's been really fruitful in my own life um, and then while you're at mass you know stay a few minutes after in Thanksgiving uh, with the Eucharist um, because the Eucharist is still very much present inside of you but for those for a few minutes after mass just spend some time in prayer with the Lord um, who is inside of you. Um, another another pointer, uh, another idea is frequent adoration. Adoration, you know, maybe start with once a month and then you know, ramp up to once a week. And if you're really feeling it, ramp up to one of the hours that like a to a perpetual adoration site 24 7 at like you know 3 a.m in the morning or something um but yeah spending time in front of our our lord present in the blessed sacrament um in adoration just like conversing with him just telling him about your life um just letting him speak to you. Um, and then uh, another another idea is to meditate on Eucharistic hymns. Um, Corpus Christi is coming up, and um, there are some beautiful Eucharistic hymns hymns about the Eucharist written for Cor the Corpus Christi back in the 1200s by Saint Thomas Aquinas. Um, some of which you may be familiar with, like the Pange Lingua, the last two stanzas of which are the Tantamergo. Um, so, and then, you know, Ave Verum Corpus, um, the O Salutaris Hostia. Um, yeah, some of these beautiful Eucharistic hymns, just like meditate on, on them. And the amazing gift that the Eucharist is. 
And and lastly, uh, become a Eucharistic minister. Um, think consider like you know helping out um, in your local parish, becoming a Eucharistic minister, and then being able to like hold Jesus, and like give give him to to others, and like say those words to to them, the body of Christ, um, and you know place Jesus in someone else's hands or on on someone else's tongue. Yeah. It's it's really it's really a great experience. Really powerful. And so that'll wrap up um our main topic. Um yeah, just again, really appreciate the gift this gift of the Eucharist um, in our lives. And so now we'll move on to the Cloud of Witnesses segment. Um, so the Cloud of Witnesses, we talk about the saints upcoming for the week. And so June 21st, we celebrate St. Aloysius Gonzaga, um, who was born in Italy into a royal family in the year 1568. And like so many other saints, he renounced this life of royalty to join a religious order. Um, the order he joined was the Jesuits. And I know the Jesuits get a bad rap nowadays, but back then they were still pretty darn amazing. Um, he spent most of his most of his time in the order caring for the sick, um, and while doing so, he actually caught the plague. And he never recovered from that, and he died at a young age in the year 1591. Um, but his impact was so profound that um, there's actually a college in Spokane, Washington, uh, named after him, uh, Gonzaga University. Uh, you, might, you might see them, hear about them, you know, playing in the NCAA basketball tournament every year, and they're usually a pretty high C. They have a pretty good program right now, but... They're named after this amazing saint um, who like, who loved others so much that he basically sacrificed his own life caring for the sick. Um, and then on June 23rd, we celebrate the Nativity of St. John the Baptist. Um, Typically, it's celebrated on June 24th, but this year, it's moved a day earlier because of the Solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, which is always celebrated on the Friday after the second Sunday after Pentecost, which in the U.S. is Corpus Christi, which is why we're talking about the Eucharist um, in, the main, uh, in the main segment. So... St. John the Baptist is born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, the angel Gabriel announced his birth to Zechariah in the temple in Jerusalem. Zechariah was the priest, um, and you know he's performing his priestly role. And angel Gabriel announces to him, "Hey, you're gonna, you and your wife are gonna have a son, and you're gonna name him John." And he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And Zechariah doubts. 
He says, how's this gonna happen? For Elizabeth, my wife is old and barren and yeah, I'm, I'm also old. And so he doubts, he doesn't think it's gonna happen. And as a result, the angel, angel strikes him mute until all, the, all those things take place. And so nine months later, uh, Zechariah, Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist and Zechariah writes down on a tablet, his name is, will be John. And as soon as that happens, his tongue is opened and he sings this beautiful canticle, uh, the canticle of Zechariah, which is found in Luke's gospel. Um, pretty much right after uh, the Cant Magnificat. Um, and if you pray with liturgy of the hours, you will pray that canticle every morning in morning prayer. Um, and yes, John the Baptist ends up becoming the forerunner of the Messiah. And so why why do we celebrate the nativity and nativity of John the Baptist in late June? Well, um, based on St. John the Baptist's own words, referring to himself and Christ, he must increase while I must decrease. Um, so if you notice, June 24th, it's pretty close to the summer solstice, which is the longest day of the year. And so, you know, the days get shorter after this feast, right? He's decreasing. While the days get longer after the nativity of our Lord, which is celebrated, you know, on Christmas, December 25th, near the winter solstice, after which the days get longer. It's pretty interesting, pretty poetic, right? And furthermore, we can actually date the day of this feast based on, you know, evidence in scripture, right? You know, Zechariah is the high priest, the priest in this year, with in this cycle, and based on the calendars and such of that time, we could, we can figure out, okay, this date actually makes sense. So, pretty amazing um, that we can do that. And John the Baptist, pretty amazing. Um, the forerunner of the Messiah. Um, so, and obviously we'll celebrate the Feast of the Sacred Heart, Solemnity of the Sacred Heart, but um, we don't have time to get into that solemnity in this episode. And so that'll wrap up the Cloud of Witnesses segment. And so now we'll move into the Lyrical Lift which, you know, we go into a secular song each week and figure out each episode and figure out how does it apply to spiritual life. And this week's song is Beautiful People by, or this episode's song is Beautiful People by Ed Sheeran featuring Khaled. Um, so I don't really have any specific lyrics to talk about um, necessarily, but basically the gist of the song is about how this couple or just average, you know, just ordinary, ordinary people. Uh, they're in, they get caught up in the glitz and glamour of the Hollywood lifestyle and they realize that they, they just don't fit in. Um, they don't want to fit in. Um, this is my only fear that we become beautiful people. We are not beautiful people. Um, it doesn't mean they're not attractive. It just means that they don't belong in that, that world, that lifestyle and they, they don't want it 
Um, they just want to be who they are. Um, and applying this to the spiritual life, we have to realize where we belong, or rather to whom we belong. And, and once we do, we'll realize that true beauty isn't necessarily found in the worldly life or any of that st stuff that goes along with it. It's found in a life that belongs to the one who is beauty itself. And so that'll do it uh, for this week's episode. Uh, a few final things before we wrap up, though. First, if you liked what you heard, or even if you didn't, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star review. And this will help us to reach more people and get the good news out to a world which desperately needs to hear it. Secondly, we want to hear from you, dear listeners. If you have questions about anything we've discussed on this episode, previous episodes, or anything in general, please send them via email to laymanshomily at gmail.com. That's L-A-Y-M-A-N-S-H-O-M-I-L-Y at gmail.com. And finally, please pray for us and know that we are praying for you through the intercession of a patron of this podcast, St. Joseph. God bless you this week, and we look forward to speaking to you all next week. This has been The Layman's Homily.